Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at the Law of Moses. We are currently in Exodus. We are going to look today at Exodus chapter 33. A couple of interesting encounters uh, Moses has here with the Lord. Um, you know, last episode we basically looked at the gold calf. Again, we um, just saw how the Israelites basically had no faith that Moses was going to return. So they, in turn, turned to idolatry. They had Aaron craft them a calf made from essentially gold that they had contributed. Aaron put it into a fire, melted it down, and then crafted the gold calf to be worshipped. Um, a couple interesting things there quickly. Um, one is the idea of the Israelites losing faith or just not being patient and waiting on Moses' return from the mount, from Mount Sinai, and we see that they turn to idolatry. Seems very similar today with the modern church and with the world itself. Um, you know, Jesus promised that he will return to gather his people and that we will return with him. Um, that being said, it's interesting how it seems like a lot of the church is falling away. There is definitely an apostasy happening before our eyes. There are a lot of people these days that are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are called, they call themselves Christians, but you know, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. So, um, just because people show up to church, just because people label themselves something, this is all about how you live, okay? This is all about do you follow the commandments of the Lord, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not talking about the law that we're looking at now, I'm talking about do you live a life that is reflective of a changed new creation in Christ Jesus? Again, um, you know, we all have a sinful nature that is tied to us or chained to us. As Paul says, it's as if we have a dead corpse literally handcuffed to us, which is our old man. We must shed that old man, that old person every day. We must put on the de- the armor of God every day. We must rebuke the world, the flesh, and the devil every day because we are under constant attack by the enemy, by the world, by our flesh. Those three entities want to do nothing but drag us down into the pits of hell where they currently are. And we it's up to us to pick up that shield of faith, to quench the fiery darts of the evil one, to pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the living word of God, the truth upon which we build our lives, the foundation, the rock of salvation. That is a very important um, thing to acknowledge and do daily because, you know, just as if if we don't drink water, um, you know, pretty much every day, we can survive for probably up to three days, four days without water, but you're not surviving much longer than that. 
your body's going to shut down. And just like our physical bodies shut down without physical water, our spiritual bodies, our spirits, our spirits will die without the living word or the living water that Jesus offers us. Just like the woman at the well, when he said, I will give you water in which you will never thirst. That's his Holy Spirit living inside of us. But it's up to us to grow in that relationship. How do we do that? Quite simply, by getting into the Word of God daily, praying always, bringing everything before the Lord, surrendering every area of our lives to the Lord, and allowing Him to work through us and work in us work that old sin nature out of us and then he can work his life through us and fulfill the great commission through us Um, nothing we do for the Lord is of our own effort it is all given to us we are all empowered by the living God with the Holy Spirit living inside of us so You know, it's important, again, as we look in Exodus, as we look through the next um, few books, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's important that we keep in mind that this is the Torah. This is a very special section of the Bible to Jews as well as Christians because one thing I've noticed is as I flip back and forth between Exodus, you know, doing this study and going up to, you know, the the letters, the New Testament. Jesus spoke about the law often, but Paul, he speaks about the law all the time in all his letters to Galatia, Ephesia, to Timothy, to um, the Corinthian church. He speaks to, you know, um, the church uh, in Colossians. Thessalonia. The reason why Paul was so defensive of the gospel and constantly addressing the law at the same time was because um, he was constantly being attacked by the Jewish leaders, by the religious leaders, basically saying, it's all well and good if you want to believe in Jesus, but you need to also keep the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to do X, Y, or Z. None of that is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's called legalism. All we are called to do is confess that Jesus Christ is Lord with our mouth and believe in our heart and we are saved and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is then that we can, a a miracle happens, literally. I mean, God enters our spirit, fills us with himself and empowers us to live the lives, the godly lives we are called to. It is just like it was impossible for the Jews to fulfill the law on their own because the law was simply meant to expose sin. It is impossible for us to live a godly life without being full of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what good works you do. It doesn't matter. None of that. It's all irrelevant until you are full of the Holy Spirit and you are being led by the Holy Spirit to do good works, not out of any effort to try to be saved 
or be accepted by God because we're already saved, we're already accepted, thank the Lord, by His grace, the unmerited, undeserved, free gift of God. So it's very important that we recognize that and not only that, that we give every area of our lives to the Lord so that He can work the things out of us that need to be worked out. I'm going through quite the refinement process right now and it's absolutely amazing. And you know, trials, tribulations, um, they are all welcome because, you know, like James says in his epistle, you know, we should welcome those trials. We should op open our arms to them because through every trial, through every tribulation, through every hard time in life, we get to see a new side and dimension of God that we didn't know before. That's God's way of showing himself to us. That's why we should count those as blessings because it's the living God saying, I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you more and more of myself. Why? Because he loves us, because he wants to reveal himself to us. Um, that's the God we serve. That's the God who sent his only son to die for the sins of the world. God is love. God is mercy. God is graceful. God is everything good that we can never be. That is him. And the only way that we can ever fulfill his purpose for our life is to simply yield every area to him and say, Lord, I can't do this. But with you, nothing is impossible, and I can do all things through you. And that's how we live a victorious life. You know, we, we are called to be set free. Jesus broke the bonds, the chains of sin when he died on that cross. He broke the very power that the Satan and hell has over our flesh prior to our conversion, prior to our salvation. So don't ever underestimate the power of the Lord. If you're caught up in sin, it's probably because you're holding on to it for some foolish reason because you think you can't let go of it. But trust me, the best life you'll ever lead is the life that is completely free and just walking with the Lord. We're always going to sin. We're always going to have our slip ups. But when we're children of the Lord and we're not just other people out there when when we're basically servants of God and we're children and we're part of his family instead of enemies of God then you know we can learn through and from those things you know prior to that we didn't think twice about whatever actions they were but just the fact that you have conviction about something that you know you shouldn't be doing or that God once worked out of your life yield to that conviction because I promise you, whatever you think you're going to fill, whatever void you think you're going to fill in your life with that sin, it's only going to, it has a, a counteractive effect. It actually makes your state worse than where you think you want to go. So as you get further from the Lord in sin, you actually are hurting yourself more when you could just let it go and give it all to the Lord and let him be not only your saver, savior, saver, I'm savoring some food right now because I'm starving, but let him be the Lord of your life as well. So 
All right, without any further ado, let's take a look. Let's continue our look at the Law of Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Okay, and like I said, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 33 tonight. We are going to look at verses 1 through 6 first. And this is called the command to leave Sinai. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite, <laughs> and the Hivite, and the Jubasite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Or Horeb excuse me. All right, we're going to look at the notes for that section, then we'll move on. Yahweh's intent was that Israel continue on in spite of her sin. God decided to withdraw himself from their midst. News so dreadful, the people could not wear any festive dress. That, to do to you, shows there was an indefinite time in which they were unaware of God's final verdict. So, that part, that to do to you, is again from Exodus chapter 33, verse 5, where he says, For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. Interesting encounter there, but God is not happy. Again, people turn to idolatry in Exodus 32. <laughs> the second commandment is have no idols, have no false gods before him. And he is pretty much, um, he, he's angry. The Lord is angry at the people right now. And he's letting them know it. And their response is proper in that they, you know, they, they feel the wrath of the Lord. They feel God's anger to the point of where they strip their, you know, ornamentation. They strip their celebratory clothing, if you will. I mean, think about it. The living God is, you know, giving you instruction on how to live. And um, you are his chosen people of all the people in the world. You're his chosen people because of the promises, again, that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, um, you know, they turned to idolatry, broke his commandments. And it's a very serious thing to God when we break his commandments. That's why eventually he sends his only son to die in our place to be the substitute lamb so that he can be our justification, literally, 
our sanctifier. Uh, the Bible in the New Testament calls Jesus. He's like our, our lawyer before God, basically, you know, in God's courtroom, when we are guilty of sin, Jesus says, you know, but they're, they're mine, they're, they're mine, they're ours. So, you know, that's how serious it is to God. And he still, still needs to be reminded by Jesus himself at this very moment that we are covered in his blood. We are clothed in his being Jesus's righteousness. So as much as we can mess up and do foolish things in this life here, as children of the Lord, we are still forgiven. And <clears throat> excuse me, that's God's grace. Again, undeserved grace. And he does that so that we can be in his family and in his presence eventually in eternity. He chooses to forgive us. He chooses to set our sins as far as the east is from the west, meaning to infinite forgettable status, essentially. So it's a very humbling realization when we really consider how serious God takes sin. And that's one reason why we should really not even play with that fire. You don't want that. You don't want to be, you do not want to go through the, the trials and tribulations of just open sinful behavior because they bring real consequences in life. And as one who lives with them every day and wishes I could go back and just not do some really boneheaded, stupid things in my own life, trust me when I say, although you can be forgiven by God for some sins, you will still suffer the the circumstances and the um the, the fallout of certain actions and sins you know just like the people sitting in jail who may have done something based on foolish emotion that they made a bad decision at one moment and it cost them years and years of their life you know so trust me i've made foolish decisions in my own life which have cost me years and years of pain and depression that finally God has brought me out of and brought me through, but they were not fun times. And if I could go back and not have to relive them, the only real positive I can draw from those in my physical life presently is to definitely say, I'll never make those stupid mistakes again. If I have another opportunity to not repeat them. So, which I believe the Lord will give me because he's placed it in my heart, but you know, there's still a lot of growing I have to do in areas of my life that uh, God says, just wait, be patient. So at this point in my life, I say, yes, Lord, it's that simple. So, all right, we're in Exodus 33. Next, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. My Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles this section, Moses Meets with the Lord. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass that Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar 
excuse me, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So pretty amazing stuff there. And, um, you know, the fact that um, God would meet with Moses in this physical form of a cloud is pretty incredible. A pillar of cloud. Um, again, it says descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. So descending, meaning it came from up down and the Lord talked with Moses and um, the fact that all the people you know they saw the miracle that was going on right before them and they worshiped the Lord and uh, that's repentance you know that's God's amazing way of although we mess up although the Israelites messed up he still forgives and comes down because there was at least one righteous man. And really, that's all it takes. That's why, you know, we look around at the crazy world we live in right now, all the absolute insanity going on around us. People have flipped their lids and lost their minds. I mean, you talk about absolute topsy-turvy land, but there are still righteous people in the world. Not our own righteousness, but we're clothed in Christ's righteousness. And God has... His kingdom alive, present here on the earth, continuing to move, continuing to push forward. And, um, you know, uh, he is going to judge the world soon enough, I believe. But it's a great thing that he waits because every day he waits, thousands of people get saved. And that's something that we can't underestimate. There are thousands of lives I mean, God has his number of Gentiles that is going to be fulfilled. And, um, you know, it's it's really a blessing to be here on the earth or present with the Lord. And frankly, you know, God's presence, his Holy Spirit living in us is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for us, no matter whether we're here on this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity. So let's look at the notes here for this section, um, looking at the note for thirty chapter, Exodus chapter 33, verse 7, where it says, The tabernacle of meeting here was the place of God's presence. It was a sort of portable, excuse me, portable, small-scale tabernacle for special times of communion with God, especially before the full tabernacle was complete. It had none of the tabernacle furnishings, however, and is different from that named in chapter 27, verse 21. Moses placed it a great distance from the camp because of the desecration by the molded calf. So, you know, there was, um, again, some, well, all sin has consequences and circumstances that we must live with, but This is a time in which, you know, there is repentance going on and there is reconciliation going on. So between God and his people, 
And Moses is the representative of the people before the Lord. He did not partake. If you take note there, he was one of the few that did not partake in the idolatry. So he's still clean, if you will, before the Lord and able to still be, have communion with God, essentially. So, you know, just, (laughs) I I just feel compelled to just stress the point of give up the sin. It's not worth it. You may think that you're getting away with something, but we, (laughs) you're not getting away with anything. And trust me, what's done in darkness will be exposed in the light. There are people right now, there are pastors of quote-unquote megachurches that are just being raked over the coals by the world and plenty of people in the church because they were doing things that they thought, you know, those little visits to the hotel rooms, those little visits to their little girlfriend's apartments, they thought would never come to light. But here I am millions, or excuse me, I should say thousands of miles away from those incidents, years away from those incidents, and here they are exposed in the light. God is not a respecter of persons. You're not special. I'm not special. Trust me when I say I've learned that lesson. And when it comes down to it, we will all... um you know, the sin in our lives will catch up with us, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. Things catch up with you. They always do. They always will. Because it's a biblical principle. And at the end of the day, it's better that they do. Because if we're wise and if we have any any understanding of life, we'll acknowledge that it's better to get caught, repent, be cleansed, and to move forward than to be caught up and living in that garbage for any sustained period of time. Trust me, it's not worth it. Not at all. So, all right, there is one more section of Exodus 33. It's verses 12 through 23 that we're going to look at here. My Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles this section, The Promise of God's Presence. Then Moses said to the Lord, picking up a verse 12 of Exodus 33, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he, God, said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he, Moses, said to him, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I found grace in your sight, except you go with us? For so shall be separate or excuse me, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Moses, 
Please show me your glory. Then he said, God, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And God said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but not my face. Excuse me but my face shall not be seen. So pretty incredible encounter there. I've heard of that and read it a couple times here and there, but to read it in full context of just Moses pleading to the Lord, again pleading, and then um, the Lord saying, yes, you know, essentially my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That statement, give rest there, is nuacha, which means to rest, settle down to be soothed or quieted, to be secure, to be still, to dwell peacefully. The verb occurs about 65 times, first in Genesis chapter 8, verse 4, which states that the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat. Nuacha is the verb that describes the Spirit of God resting upon the Messiah, or upon the 70 elders of Israel, the name Noah, rest giver or comforter, is derived from Nuachah. See Genesis chapter 5 verse 29. In the present reference, God's presence will give rest to his people. That is, his presence soothes, comforts, settles, consoles, and quiets us. So, that's a, again, pretty incredible encounter. Um, and let's look at some of the notes here for that section in my spirit filled like New King James Version Bible. I'm actually going to flip back to a truth in action section and look at that because it does a pretty good job of addressing some of these points. And then we will come back and look at the notes and finish up here. But again, the truth in action sections and the, the spirit filled life New King James Version Bible I have just basically take some of the truth that Exodus teaches, for example, and then the action that Exodus invites or how we put basically what's in the word into action in our lives. So this, uh, this is truth in action section three at the end of Exodus, where it says guidelines to godly living. Godly living is living with God in your life and his life in you. He gives guidelines to help us build our lives on his precepts. God calls us to acts of faith that build godliness. Without faith, our acts become vain religion. Godliness embraces godly practice and shuns vain religious acts. Amen. And just picking up with some more of the action section here. Stay alert to seek out God's working. It often comes in a way we do not expect. Participate regularly in the Lord's Supper. We thus share in his deliverance and life. Be still as God works. You will see his deliverance. Be careful 
to apply God's word. He wants us to follow his instructions. Celebrate God's blessings to you. Dwell in and esteem God's presence. It distinguishes us from everyone else. Rest in God's Sabbath. His rest gives us rest from our own works. Amen. So, again, very good knowledge to apply in life. And, again, just incredible how God basically um, listens to Moses and his appeal for the people and, you know, his request for God to be present with them. And it's um, it's pretty incredible when you see that basically in verse 16 where it says, um, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. That's exactly what we're called to as Christians, to be separate from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. I mean, we're God's remnant. We're his children. We're his people. So, you know, there's there's no excuse when it comes to um, not being basically a child of God and walking in faith. You know, like the truth in action section said there, God often reveals himself and leads us in directions that we may not expect. And, um, you know, one of the incredible things with God is that he usually instructs us to do something before giving us the understanding. And then in hindsight, we have the understanding to his instruction. Of course, we would rather have understanding first, so then we could go and fulfill the whatever we're instructed to do. But there's a good reason why God does that, because he wants us to walk in faith as we are called to do. Because frankly, we walk in faith with something every day, you know, you, um, that we have faith that the decisions we make in life are going to produce good results, essentially. So have the faith to trust in the Lord in what he tells us to do. And I promise you, they will produce the best results every time. God never fails us. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. So we need to be respectful enough to obey him and follow his lead essentially trust me that's a great way to put it i guess when i think about it is to follow his lead because when we have trust and faith in certain people or certain um you know instructions we gladly follow those because we know that they are proven to be right successful and trustworthy who is more right successful and more trustworthy than God himself. So don't let, don't listen to the doubt that your flesh, the world, the devil will try to seed in your mind, rebuke that doubt, rebuke those fiery darts, pick up the shield of faith to quench those fiery darts and base your decisions on with the sword of the spirit, cutting through the lies of the world, the flesh and the devil which is the living word of God, which is the rock and the foundation upon which we build our homes, everything, our lives. So now let's look at the notes here for those sections. Um, it says here, 
Exodus 33, 12-17, completes the scenario suspended in verse 6. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by um, Mount Horeb. So, again, I mean, there's a bit of a, you know, the, the people are repentant and sorry for their actions. Moses being the representative of the people, and again, being one who did not fall into that idolatry, he goes and pleads with the Lord, and, you know, God honors his plea because he loves us. He wants to be with us. He wants to have, you know, have his presence in our lives, but he can't be there if we're going to be involved and wrapped up with sin because he's holy. It's that simple. He's the holy, holy, holy one. The one who is surrounded by angels and beings constantly praising and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord all for eternity because he is holy and he is good. He is a perfect spotless. He, he has no sin. He has no darkness. He is the light of all. So that's why, although the people sinned and they have blemish on them right now. God also allows Moses to plea with him and he honors those pleads. So let's look next at uh, the note for Exodus 33 verse 18. It says Moses desired to see God's glory, literally wait. That is the inner reality that makes God who he is. God cannot grant Moses full request. He does, however, reveal to Moses that he is partially understood through his actions in history and through various characteristics associated with his name. So, again, and eventually, you know, it's incredible, the last couple verses of Exodus 33, where the Lord says, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but not my face, excuse me, but my face shall not be seen. And that's because no one can see the face of God without dying. He's that holy, perfect, righteous, and true. How that works I don't know, but I know it's true. I mean, just seeing the Holy Spirit at work in my own life and the lives of others and all around me, that's enough. How incredible. I mean, God, again, he He proves himself to me and, and all of his children every day. Why? Because he's faithful. He loves us. He's righteous. He's true. You know, I was talking a little while ago about tithing and giving and things of that nature. And, you know, I, God had put something on my heart. I'll conclude with this. God had put something on my heart. And, you know, I had every intention of doing it, but I just kept getting, you know, coincidentally, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I just kept getting uh, distracted by by just life getting busy and i just kept putting this thing that god had put in my heart on the back burner and he kept telling me do this do this do this till finally 
one day I literally had to, I could not function. I had to go and do that thing right then and there. And I did. And coincidentally, this huge weight and everything that was on my shoulders was lifted. And point being this. Today, I just got notification that I just will say I was tremendously blessed. Almost <laughs> almost to the exact T of what the Lord was had put on my heart originally. So... And then some, I will say it's actually much more, it's, it's a greater blessing than what the Lord asked me for. And, um, you know, it's just a little things like that, where God is so faithful, where you just really appreciate the God we serve. Um, he's amazing. He's incredible. And most of the time when he's asking us for something or wants us to do something, look, he could do it himself. But he wants to show us something. He wants to show us new sides of him. He wants us to take steps of faith and live in faith. And trust me when I say from from Noah all the way up through Paul and the new disciples in the Testament, New Testament, They all live, they all have one thing in common, (laughs) walking by faith, not by sight. People mocked Noah for decades while he was building that ark. But you know what? When those rains started for the first time in history, guess who were banging on Noah's door? The very mockers, the very people that probably, I I can really picture the most um, insulting, the most, uh, you know, um, unfaithful people, because that, that's really just a sign of uh, fear, frankly, and worry. But, you know, it just comes out in a very immature, uh, rude way. Um, I guarantee you the people that were banging hardest on that door to that ark trying to get in were the very same loudest scoffers and mockers of Noah for all those years. And Noah obeyed God and did not open the doors because God gave Noah instruction and he had all he needed on that ark at that moment. And that was it. The doors were sealed. So don't be left behind, you know, don't be a mocker. Don't be someone who just wants to sit and, um, basically um, live their own way. And then when times get tough, you run to God or you run to a savior. Look, the greatest thing you can do is give every area of your life to God right here and now and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit and he will do that. And you will experience a miracle unlike anything this life or world has to offer. So, all right, I'm going to end on that note. So that's our look at Exodus chapter 33. We're going to pick up and keep moving through Exodus and the Mosaic law as we continue our look at the law of Moses. So until then, God bless and have a great day.